1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, Pete's got all the very latest from the Shakedown Test in Sepang. We're taking a look at MotoGP's sole rookie on the grid for this Season 2. Former Suzuki boss Livio Supo has been making some predictions ahead of the new season. We'll be taking a little look at those and we've got some more of your questions to answer. Remember, if you want to send us a question now, you can voice note it to us do it on your phone and email it to podcast at along with your name and where you're from. Keep it to 30 seconds-ish and we'll get you on the show and the guys will answer your questions live on air. If you don't want to voice note it, you can still send it the old-fashioned way. Uh, write it down, uh, either they send it to us on social media or you can send it to that same email address and we will still get it. Uh, right, the recording day is Tuesday the 7th of February. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as always is Crash Motor GP editor Peter McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and british champion keith Hewin. pete let's dig in straight away shall we sepang shakedown test only really just finished in the last hour or so what's been happening over
2: the last couple of days that you can tell us anything juicy so so yeah just just to explain this not the main test obviously that's coming up in two days this is the test just for the test riders and the rookies, in this case, just Augusto Fernandez, who you mentioned just just before. So yeah, they they those guys have been out on track. Uh, they've got three days. Unfortunately, the weather wasn't very good on days one and two. It was uh, it was a bit like English weather, as some of my Italian colleagues were keen to point out. It was drizzling basically, not very usual for Sepang. You know, usually it, it's boiling hotter than it tips down the thunderstorm. This was kind of drizzle, overcast skies, and uh, especially for day two, almost all of it. Was, was affected by rain, really. Um, in, the other thing to say is that Danny Pedroza was there, but he wasn't using a transponder or his transponder wasn't turned on. Now, we got a bit of a glimpse of his lap times late on day two when suddenly he popped up on the screens, but that must have been a mistake and they suddenly realised and switched it off again. But oh, So they are anyway. allowed to
1: do that? They could just switch it off and on?
2: Yeah, it's up to them. Yeah, I, I think it, it's, and it's exactly why they, they didn't have the transponder wasn't really clear or not turned on, but it, I, it sounds like it was Danny's, you know, his idea. So, you know, who knows? But, uh, well, but yes, yeah, so imagine being someone of
0: his standing and suddenly he's, he's five seconds off the pace. I mean, it's a it's a shakedown test at the end of the day. and You don't quite know what he's got to fit in there. But uh, there's a little bit of ego that comes that way as well. You don't want to be seen to be the last man on the board. That's for sure. So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of speaking as a, as a rider's perspective. You wouldn't really want to be embarrassed by it, especially when you've got someone like Cal Crutchlow, who's massively retired and he's quick.
2: Yeah. the the other thing is that of course that that maybe they're testing things and they don't want to exactly show the others how fast they were with those things so so a combination of those those two things maybe I mean we were expecting a lot of aerodynamics parts this week because of the rain I don't think we've seen them all I think there's more stuff still to come but we did see some new parts coming out from all the factories Um, probably really only uh, sort of Honda didn't really change too much The, the KTMs we saw new fairings but we'd seen them at Valencia now they've also got we believe these new parts developed with Red Bull, you know, advanced technologies so that that input they've been testing the wind tunnel. Those are also available at this test. So another th- more things to watch out for in the official test. I think some things have been pushed over. Um, anyway, lap times wise, Cal was fastest day one, day two. Um, and then day three, which has just finished, as you say, Harry, that Pirro went to the top in the last hour. So that was the day with the best action. He was the only rider under two minutes. Um, which is a pretty fast lap time. The, the, the race record is, what, 159.6 by Jorge Martin last October. So, obviously, you know, a short run versus a race run. But still, it shows the test riders are in the ballpark on the lap times and the track is in good condition. So, when uh, weather permitting, when the uh, the real testing, should we say, gets underway, we could be seeing some very fast lap times. Um, all eyes, of course, on the Yamaha engine the top speeds there is a top speed listed with the times how accurate it is who knows um, you know cal was keen to point out that it's in the braking zone but you know cal was quick today you know his bike did a 335 according to the timing screens now uh, you know that would be f- four four or five kilometre an hour quicker than Quattararo did during the Grand Prix weekend. And he was the quickest of the Yamahas. So good signs from Yamaha, but we don't know for sure until we get all the bikes out there on track. But uh, but yeah, that was really it. That was it just set, sort of setting the stage for, uh, for the three-day test to come uh, from the 10th to the 12th.
1: Very nice. Well, it certainly looked like Yamaha might have something up their sleeve. We've got a few questions in on Yamaha about having the the engine speed. We'll come onto it a little bit, but I mean, Keith, did you pick up anything from over the last couple of days, or, or not? is it how ton, much can you really well, I mean, get from a shake
0: Yeah, tons of off the back of that, plus what Pete said. I mean, there were a lot of things to pick up on there. I mean, the, the, the last point that you made, Cal Cal spoke to Pete and said that basically they put the the transponder for the for the top speed too close to the braking area. So you get a bit of inconsistency. If you're a yard on the brakes earlier, then you lose a couple of mile an hour off the top end or or gain it. And so it's an inconsistent thing. I, <clears throat> I always find that really annoying that, that, they, that they use the same place as a car. Obviously a car can go so much deeper at the end of the straight than a bike can, even though the bike brakes are really, really good, but they haven't got the contact patch to be able to do that kind of thing. Um, so you get that inconsistency all of the time on, on, on top speed. The other thing is is this secrecy around the test. I mean, uh, it, it always seems so bloody unnecessary to me. I mean, I, I understand that they might be testing stuff they don't want people to get too much of a close-up on. They don't want to give too much away to each other. But we're at the point where they can't change anything anyway, whatever their strategy is for this year. They're not going to be able to change it. You can't change it in a week. You can't change it in a month. It's a situation where they're committed to whatever they're testing and they're committed to starting the season with whatever they've already decided they're going to test with. They're only going to, there's only going to be small small changes of, of, of to what they've already got at the end of the day. Um, so it's, it's quite a frustrating time for everybody looking in and the restrictions on the on the media to not be able to see stuff seems un, unreasonable. You've got the situation where the shakedown test massively affected. That is the worst case scenario when you get bad weather, first two days bad weather. You can't go through your, your schedule, your program of testing. It's really, really laid out like a military opposition, uh, operation. You know, Cal being fast, I just love Cal Crutchlow. A, he always gives you a quote. B, he always does the business. When he gets on a motorbike, he rides it to the to the limit. And I don't know where he finds out. He just loves riding a motorbike, and he's still bloody fast. Piro popping one in, you know, they might have thrown the kitchen sink at it for the final, you know, to be top of the the, the timetable at the end. It's always a, a badge of honor, isn't it, to end the, the the test as top, top bike, whatever that might be. So Piro popping one in there doesn't surprise me. But Cal Crutch, though, what a worker this few days. He has put some bloody mileage in down in Sepang. And that is not an easy racetrack, not an easy set of weather conditions. You'll be sweating your wotsits off for the entire three days. And when it's raining as well, you're sitting around in a garage. He, he has a boredom threshold of about, you know, 0.001%. He just cannot stand being bored, Crutch, though. And sitting in the back of the garage when it's raining and you can't get out there and You know, there's nothing to do, you know, how many times you want to talk to your colleagues and friends up and down pit lane, you get bored with that even after (laughs) half a day. So um, it ain't easy being a test rider. I'm surprised he still wants to do it, but good on him.
1: I suspect the dollar's not too shabby for him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you don't need it.
1: (laughs) No, that's true.
2: and he, and Yamaha had three test bikes there and uh, as Keith was saying just to underline the, the workload that Cal was putting in there was three test bikes the, the T1 T2 D3 is what they were numbered as if you like and uh, Cal rode all of them for the first two days he was the only <laughs> Yamaha test rider on track then uh, today the Japanese uh, test riders sort of joined in and uh, so uh, Nakasuga and uh, Nozane they joined in on some of the other bikes But Cal still ended up riding, I think, until sort of mid-afternoon. And I think he said he stopped, he ate a banana. That was it. Other than that, he was going flat out because, as Keith says, the weather meant that they were in delay. You know, they they couldn't do everything they wanted on day two. So you've got a big queue of, of things to do on day three. And it's just constantly riding, riding, riding. So he's got a couple of days off. And then he said he will be riding at the official test, I think not the first day. So, so they've, they've given him that, but he will be back for days two and three alongside all the race riders. So, uh, and, and one one other thing that was coming up as well as the weather, the tyre um, allowance for testing that seems to be quite. I think it's dropped a little bit this year, um, and and teams are having to be a little bit strategic with when they use their testing tyres, and they have to just sort of, and that includes wets and and slicks. You know when you use those tyres, when you don't, what are the track conditions like to really make the most of your testing time? And and that was a concern for, for some of the teams this week. Is to, so it's not just the weather they've got to think about, it's how they use this allowance of tyres, which is for the entire year.
0: Part of the reason why Cal was doing so many miles will have been back-to-back. Each one of those T1, T2, T3 bikes will have been set slightly differently and they need that comparison to work out what is better as they move forward. And when you've got three testers that are all different styles different performance levels and so on and so forth you need that consistency of uh, opinion if you like and Cal is brilliant on a, as, a, as a tester from that point of view and he's fast he's everything that you need to be trouble is with a motorbike if you're not right there on the edge of it it's a different motorbike you know if you get you know, plonk someone on it as that's three tenths quicker you know the bike will feel completely different will react completely differently on a racetrack so you need someone that's right on the very edge of things. Um, it's no good having someone that's three seconds off the pace or whatever it might have been because that does not give you the bike that you need for the guys that are coming at you know when they roll out next week and they and the full-blown Factory boys are, are riding them. They want the bike That's um, the best that it can be at that particular point after the test guys are gone And it just goes to show you if cows back out next week testing as well um, That's because they've not gone through the program yet. They've still got stuff They've got to test and they're, they're still going to be testing stuff when they um, put the latest signings on their machinery. It's going to be really interesting. And, of course, you guys will get full access next week with a bit of luck. Everyone will be able to get down pit lane and so on and so forth. And the timing will be up properly instead of this sort of clandestine timing Timing when they turn off, you know, transponders every now and again just to, to fox the people that are looking over the fence or those that have climbed under it, one or the other. I, I still don't quite understand. I mean, I understand these shakedown tests, but it, it, if you if you're going to – if you're going to have a shakedown test where you don't want anybody to see, hear or, or time what you're doing, then private test somewhere. You know, Put your boys out somewhere else. It's, it's It just seems slightly odd that we get to Sepang and there's all this secrecy. And then I you've got-, got the usual ball ache of, of trying to get in the track. You know, you're know, you not on the list, which is always a tricky one as well. You know, the, you turn up having travelled all the way to Kuala Lumpur and suddenly you find that somebody's misspelt your name or what have you. And, it, and it's some guy that's on the gate that... that yeah, you know, no one's ever seen before and probably won't ever see again, um, refusing entry to various media people. I, I don't know what the wind up is. It must be somebody somewhere must enjoy winding the media up.
1: I, I quite like the the secrecy aspect of it. I I don't know, I think it makes it a little bit like teams trying to keep secrets, turning off the transport at least you don't know actually how fast they're going, putting up boards let, outside let me the gallery. If,
0: if it was that important, if it was that Earth-shatteringly necessary for them to do it. You would have media people flying drones, climbing fences, getting underneath, you know, hiding in a in a in a disguised tent for a week before the test. You know, there's no way you're going to stop the media. It it seems to me almost like it's a wind-up hype. Mm. Um, And of course, you know, the 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 big wind-up was that no one got told, even though it had been alluded to in previous years, that the manufacturers didn't want the media at trackside on the shakedown test. But two weeks prior to the shakedown test is when the you know Friné, poor old Friné, she, she ends up having to you know shoot the messenger, Frane. That, that no, we don't want you there. Um, but then of course they relaxed that rule and people were allowed in, but had limited access to where they could go at, at, at trackside. It just seems to be to be a, a, a little bit messy, really. And when you want the media on side officially, I mean the media are there to promote the product, but they're selling mm-hmm. ultimately. And uh, to piss everybody off, it just doesn't seem reasonable or, 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 or any big enough reason to do it. You can keep the garage shut. You know, we're all going to see what you've got. There's nothing that really can be changed that much. The main people that you want to keep the secrets from are in pit lane with you. It's the yeah, other team. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. ain't the media. <laughs> <laughs> which which just seems daft that the media are the ones that get blamed for taking the odd photograph of something <laughs> that's... when When, you know, every team has got their own spotters walking up and down pit lane, you know, it's... You know, Again, I, I, I liken to Formula One, sorry, but I do it just for Harry. You know, when you've got Adrian Newey walking up the pit lane, just... Having a little look. Having a little look. It's all going in that computer brain of his. Well, we got the same equivalent people in pit lane in MotoGP that are going to be seeing what's going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But some of those people are having to look at their jackets just to see who they're working for this year.
1: Because <laughs> 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 everybody's moved about a bit. Top tip. If you want to get anywhere, bring, uh, bring a high-vis jacket and just stick it on. Walk with confidence. <laughs> no one will stop you. If, you. if you've got a high-vis jacket and clipboard, people think you belong, I think. That's how you get in. That's how you get in. Yeah. Dawn of <laughs> <Dawn, Dawn laughs> security,
0: <are, Dawn laughs> security are quite good.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah give it Maybe a try next time let me know how you get on uh, <laughs> I, I should just say that it wasn't all the team the, the teams have been at pains to point out to us that what definitely wasn't all the teams that tried to ban the media mm. it was well they certain, would say that wouldn't they well yeah but I, I having spoken to not only the team members it, it, that does seem to be the case you know they they I mean I think a lot of us had messages going hang on a minute because we were told that it was the team's uh plural, as in all of them, had had wanted the media out. And uh, they made clear that, that the ones that we spoke to, some of them... Uh, that, Who was uh, it yeah. MP, Come Who on, name it? names, name some names. Uh, well, you put it this way, uh, the European ones all contacted us to say, look, we don't have a problem. Um... So, oh. yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> and, and yeah, I think they felt a bit unfairly kind of tarnished by this, that it, it gave the impression that, that all the teams don't want media in MotoGP or anything else. And, uh, yeah, they may clear, look, you know, we don't, we don't mind at all. You're welcome. But uh, obviously that wasn't the unanimous view.
1: Well. Wow. I think we said enough there. Uh, <laughs> we hate the media, don't we? Bloody bastards.
0: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> How can you say something like that, Ari, and still sound posh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think, if anything, you sound posher. Um, let's uh, move on. Still in keeping, though, somebody who was definitely at the test, unlike many of the other riders, obviously, was uh, the only rookie. On the grid for this year, Moto 2 champion Augusto Fernandez. He will be the sole rookie for Tech 3 Gas Gas. Um, but MotoGP's not been very nice to its rookies in recent history. Darren Binder, Remy Gardner, my main man Ika Laquona. Still he got, got two years. He did get yeah. two years, <laughs> but the just but it was it was an unceremonious sacking, wasn't it? Um And now we have this, we've talked about it before, we have this huge influx of talent coming through Moto3 and Moto2 and even below those categories as well. Particularly, we spoke a lot about Pedro Costa, which KTM obviously have within their fold as well, touted as a future superstar. He's only 18. I think he finished fifth last year in Moto2, and that was missing two rounds and he retired from four. Now there seems to be a little bit, well, is there pressure then on, on Fernandez, particularly the way that, that Tech Three outfit have treated their riders in the past. Do you think there's a lot of pressure on this rookie, Keith?
0: There's always pressure on rookies, and it's, it's intensifying, and it's never going to get. I mean, you, you're in the absolute cauldron of Mud GP, and um, your comment regarding Tech Three or Tech Trois, sorry, yeah. people like to say nowadays, I, I always find that a little bit posh. So I say Tech Three. Erve Erve Guy Couglan, really good people. You know, they're they're, they're good people they are ni- they're a 1980s-style management situation. The only pressure they will be under, and the one that Augusto will be under, is coming from KTM. Um, I think that that is 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 always going to be the factory pressure rather than the the, the team pressure of of Tech Three. I would say pastorally, um, you know, they look after their their people pretty well. Um, the French team, um, Hervé Pancharol is a great guy. Guy Coulon is is the mad professor behind it all. Whether they've fallen behind a little bit, this is what concerns me slightly, you know, Tech 3, I, I, I said what I said just now because I love the fact that they've got this slightly older-fashioned management style in the team, but maybe that's what's holding them back. You know, maybe maybe things have moved on slightly differently, and, and that management style is not quite where it, it should be nowadays, um, and it will remain to be seen whether they have another dull year this year because it, it hasn't been great for them since they went to KTM, that's for sure. Um and we'll see whether they manage to pick up the pace on that. But also, I think KTM, KTM are, are going to throw the kitchen sink at this this year. They're, this year, they're not going to, you know, last year is, is, has been a disaster for them effectively. Um, so I can see them really pushing to, to make that work. And that adds even more pressure for Augusto. You know, uh, he's in where he needs to be. He should have been in there. He's going to have to step up to the mark. It's going to be about injury. You know, if you pick up injuries, niggling injuries are the worst ones. Big ones give you an opportunity to recover from. Them. And the niggling injuries are the ones that affect your performance, you know, almost unseen behind the scenes. You've got, you know, twisted joints or, or, or muscles or, or ligaments or something like that that's that's just making it so difficult to ride a motorcycle the way that you need to ride one nowadays. But yet you can't see the injury so much from a from a spectator from a team point of view. So it just looks like you're slow. Um, that is really difficult to recover from. And, you know, you're always on shifting sands when you're in MotoGP. There's a lot of talent out there now, and a lot of very, you know, KTM particularly, are quite ruthless when it comes to uh, hiring and firing. So it's never going to be easy. And you might have a contract for two years, but contracts, I've never been a great lover of them. They're only really there to um, fit the nuts and bolts around the reality of things. You know, if if you're not happy in a team, what's the point of them contracting you to it? If it's the other way around, what's the point of holding you to the contract? It's it's never going to work. You've got to have something that that gels more than just a piece of paper. Um, So we'll wait and see how that that pans out. I hate talking about this already. Bloody hell, we haven't even started a year and Augusto's already got that question mark. It's horrendous.
1: Hey, Pete's the one who wrote the article on it.
0: I know. (laughs) The trouble (laughs) is with Pete. He's bloody accurate when he writes articles. It's not (laughs) like you look at it and think, oh yeah, that's a load of bullshit. It'd be like that if I wrote articles.
2: <laughs> I mean I mean th- this is the the only pressure really on on Augusto I think to answer your question about the pressure side Harry or the, the the difference in pressure compared to any other rookie situation is the Acosta thing isn't it you know Acosta has come out and said that he he had the opportunity to come to MotoGP this year he didn't say with who but he turned it down Um, You know, obviously because of his past record, he's already been tipped and has been for several years as a future MotoGP star. So it's that that thing for KTM. If he does want to go up, what do they do? Where do they put him? So, you know, a lot depends on how he does in Moto2 this year. Um, but it's certainly not helping pressure rise with Augusta. There's only so many seats isn't there for where they can put Acosta. They don't want to lose Acosta with this stellar record that he's got. It's a bit like we saw previously where the other guys got, got sort of moved on because they wanted to move people up. It's mm. It's the issue when you've got this ladder of talent, have not you? But everyone's government coming up it all the time. There's always people pushing to join or take over your seat. So uh, that being said, I have to say this week, uh, um, Fernandez, he, he rode in the wet on Sydney uh, day two, did really well. Uh, looked instantly quick. I thought he was, he was up near the top of the time. In fact, on top of the time sheets for most of the day, not a soaking wet track, but it was a wet track, wet tires. You know, I think that was his first time on the bike. So decent ride there. And he was, what was he third fastest today? in the dry. So, you know, I think he's, I think he's doing all right. I
0: think the headroom, people at trackside, you know, management, the teams, they can see where the expansion room is coming from. They can see things that you can't when we're looking in, you know, it's, it's, it's better if you're in, you know, what's the old saying rather be on the inside, pissing out than on the outside, pissing in. It's basic, but it's, it's that kind of situation. They know what's going on internally, where the pressures are, what the kid's going through, and they can see whether there's expansion. I mean, who would have hired? Who would have said that Fabio Cotteraro was going to be a MotoGP world champion when he was in Moto2? <laughs> Nobody. You know, he rode a Moto2 bike pretty well, but at the end of the day, you wouldn't have seen it. Back to Augusto on the on the MotoGP bike. Um, very interesting comments that Jake Dixon made in our previous pod. That you know, when you ride a MotoGP bike, you know the seamless gearbox and the and the electronic control and all the rest of it over them bikes, you don't even feel the limiters being cacking in when you when you're riding a road bike and you've got the back wheel spinning when you're in a car and it hits a, some kind of traction control it's like you've just thrown an anchor out it, 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 you know it's it's so rough and agricultural in comparison with our motor is. so when you jump on one of them things they've got big smooth power you've got seamless gearbox you've got traction control that doesn't feel like traction control because it's so smooth it's, it's got to be like an absolute dream for someone like augusto to get on a bike like that and when your confidence is building in the wet, when you're in the wet with wet tires on, you've got that little bit more movement, you know, providing the track isn't sort of greasy in places and, and puddles in places and all the rest of it, which can, can catch you out and ruin your day. You know, when you've got a motorbike like that, you're getting used to, it. it is a pleasure to jump on a bike that works so well in comparison with everything else you've ridden prior. So, you know, providing that progress for Augusto, the pressure doesn't get him to overload his talent. Um, and he moves hits all his marks and moves forward. Yes, there's going to be a problem because, like Pete said, the backlog of people coming through at the moment is so talented and so good. But if you're KTM and you see Augusto, you know, his progress is really making progress and he's had a year's worth of progress and it looks like he's got more room for um, progression again in, in 2024, then you've got a real difficult decision to make then, haven't you, if someone else is, is vying for his ride.
2: And he'll have Paul Espargo alongside him, won't he? So he'll have that benefit of having an experienced rider to look at the data, learn from. Oliveira's won a couple of races, hasn't he, with Tectoir. So they can be successful. Tectoir can yeah. be successful yeah. with KTM and everything else. So I think I could see, be... You, know- you see,
0: I think Paul Espagro is beatable. I think as, a, as an experienced teammate alongside you, I think that's a great target. You know, that's the one that Augusto has to aspire to. And I think that... You know, if you had a real superstar alongside you, that would be a tricky one because you'd always be playing second fiddle. But I think mm-hmm. Polys can ride a motorbike, and he's at a great level. But I think he's an attainable level for for a talent coming up, and that's what's going to be interesting when we get to get to the track. If once if Augusto gets the better of Pole, then his 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 life is safe in MotoGP.
1: It's terrible, isn't it? We haven't even had a race yet and we're already <laughs> discussing the rookie being replaced awful uh, but that's what motorsport's all about isn't it we love a predi- we love a rumor um and a prediction as well which uh, livio supo has been making many he's got quite a bit of time on his hands at the moment so he's been making some predictions um and i thought it might be fun to go through them and see what you think. i've picked i picked pretty much all of them out and i've sim- i've simplified what he said but you can see the full article on on crash.net as well um the first thing he says though Jorge Martin is among 12 realistic title contenders this year. Do we agree?
0: What, there's 12 title contenders? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that that kind of narrows it down to just half the field, doesn't it? Well, (laughs) It's a bold prediction. I I, I actually don't call that a prediction, Livio. Come on, stand (laughs) up and say which one is going to be the winner.
1: (laughs) Well, he's named Martin. So do you think? You know, Jorge Martin, he's got a bit. He's got something to prove. You know, he missed out on the factory seat, but Pramag's obviously still very highly sought out of seat.
0: What's going to win MotoGP this year is consistency. We've got two races every weekend now. You know, you can look across that field and think to yourself, who are going to be the people that are consistently going to be there? Will Jorge Martin be one of them? Certainly he's fast enough to win races. That's not, not a doubt, I don't think. Um, but I think that you've got... More factors this year than at any time ever in the Grand Prix world of motorbike racing. Yeah, there's so many factors that are gonna affect the outcome at the end of the day. This is gonna be the toughest year anybody has ever raced in, in my view, and the most competitive. And it will be a situation of who's giving away the most points rather than who's gaining the most points as the year goes on. Jorge Martin, good shout, but just as Livio said, one of twelve. So I don't even I don't even think that's a real prediction. Step up, Livio, come on
2: yeah I don't, I don't know if did he i don't know if he named the 12 this is, i think he was talking about gp.com wasn't he i don't know but i mean if it's 12 that you'd say well right that's that's the f- five factory teams and then mm. a satellite team if you like now obviously martin rides for for pramac so he's a satellite rider then so who's the other maybe satellite rider is it does he thinking Zarka or is he thinking maybe Oliver? the top 12 from last year <laughs> uh, well no suzuki stuck, but yes oh yeah that's true yeah <laughs> well now but um yeah, but, but, I mean, that, just on that alone, you know, if you just said, well, yeah, each of the factory teams, you know, those guys are capable of, the, the, so there's 10 riders that could fight for the title, and yeah, you could easily add another two satellite names to that, so so yeah, I'd go with that. Martin, I think, uh, as Keith says, you know, you do worry about his consistency, I think he will go well in the sprint races, though, I think uh, yeah. they could suit him, so, you know, you know he might be sprint, our sprint races. race king.
0: Sprint <laughs> races are balls out. It's going to be who's the balls out racers on the grid? They're the well, ones that I'm enjoying that don't worry about tyres that get set their bike up for, for those quick laps throughout the you know, but then they tail off a little bit sort of mid distance or whatever it is because they have to bring their tyre back to, to work for them for the full distance. So I think sprint races are they might only be half points, but it's going to make the difference in the championship at the end yeah. of the year.
1: That's a fact. I wish this is what I wish f1 was a bit more like actually into like the fact you you, if you said yeah oh there's 12 drivers in formula one that could win the championship people will be like that is ridiculous what but i think that's that's better for the sport i think as a whole and that's why i think motor gp trumps f1 in, in that bit can you believe i've said that um well, think. the
0: problem, the problem, the problem with F1 is, is there's always been a, a huge amount of disparity in the well, funding. I think that that's yeah. that's the problem. I mean, you've, the Concorde agreement always gave Formula One Ferrari more money because yeah. of their sort of grandfather rights, if you like, to, to do whatever they want to do. And I think that they're never going to get over that as it is at the moment because the, the agreements that are already in place lead to a massive disparity in in what you can spend on, you know, aero. Look at the money. But, you know, the big thing about 2024 in bikes, in MotoGP, is the amount of effort going into aero. You know, it's more effort than there's ever been. And in Formula One, it's all about aero. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's about design. And, of course, with, with, a, with a car, probably more than a bike, is, is that aero dictates the dimensions of your motor, where everything is, how everything is shaped around the aero, because it's about getting a thing through the air at uh, the most optimum rate. With a bike, it's a different kettle of fish. The things lean over, the things change angles, you know, in a straight line. You know, you've got aero forces affecting all sorts of areas, but there's been more people in aero this winter trying to get that sorted out. I mean, it's, you know, might not like the way motorbikes look as far as the prototypes are concerned, but all of these developments are coming through and it's costing a bloody fortune. You know, the smaller teams are are going to be struggling a bit more about it but but in formula 1 it's the disparity is even bigger i mean yeah. williams for instance we've got no money whereas you know ferrari have got endless amounts of it where do you stop it
1: you are listening to uh, keith Ewan on the crash moto gp podcast <laughs> uh, we won't go down there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down there with their fun but we won't uh let's move on to more of supo's uh comments um maybe a, a nice easy one ducati will dominate
0: I think that just comes under a three-letter word, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, how, he's also said this though. If Yamaha can give Fabio, well, actually, no, that's a rubbish one. If Fabio can, gi- if Yamaha can give Yabio. Fabio more, to- if Fabio can, can give, if Yamaha can give Fabio more top speed, he will be up there. I mean, that's a.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. Again, these are fairly obvious. Yeah. You know, predictions at the moment, but I mean, There's better. Have Yamaha found what they'd lost in Valencia? That's the question. What happened? We don't know what mm. happened in Valencia when they turned out. Everyone said they got more top speed. They get to the test at the end of the season last year, and suddenly it all gone. It don't just evaporate. I, I don't quite understand what happened there. But again, you know, Cal Crutchlow had got top speed at, at Sepang, and it's a top speed track. I mean, you've got two massive straights there. Um, so if you've got performance, you know, we'll see whether it, it transpires next. You know, the, the main test is going to tell us. Providing we have the weather to go with it, um, you know Ducati. Ducati are brilliant at finding something extra. I'm I'm going to be interested to see what pops up next week when we've got the test proper to see if, um, you know, because we haven't seen everything yet. I mean, we've all been squabbling trying to get photographs of stuff and all the rest of it at this shakedown test. But the real stuff's coming out of the box next week. It's it's it, we'll see what they get, what the the package is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. They're old hands at not giving stuff away too soon. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what uh, Gigi and and co have have come up with for for the 2024 season. But Yamaha top end, I think they've got a little bit. Will it be enough? Um, I think Livio is pretty astute when he says, well, astute, pretty obvious when he says that Ducati are going to dominate because they've got so many bikes on the grid. Um, I think the big issue is going to be, who's going to be on what bike at the end of the year when we're all changing contracts again. And, uh, and and we'll see who's, uh, who's doing the rider market. I'm looking forward to that, you know, which should kick off about um, March. (laughs) The,
2: The other thing is that while, while Ducati might well dominate, what about the riders? Is it going to be split? The wins going to be split between those riders. You know, we know bastianini he's, he's stepping up to the factory team. You know, it doesn't mean they'll actually dominate the riders standings. They might dominate the race wins and things. But but if they're being shared between different riders and there's, there's plenty of race winning riders at Ducati now, you could get someone like Fabio come along and, and just snatch it from them at the last minute, couldn't you, if it, if, if it plays out that way? um that's the thing the other thing is now that they've arrived if you like at the very top you know they've been fighting to get back on top as world champions since 07 we've seen this talk haven't we about okay we're going to be a little bit more we're just going to back off a bit in terms of the developments you know we're not going to make the mistake of last year we changed too much with the engine and sort of wrong-footed um their their riders in the early rounds that they're going to just back off a little bit but that does perhaps leave room for guys like Aprilia who Keith has highlighted previously who aren't going to back off maybe they're going to roll the dice and go you know what we're going to we're going to throw a load of developments at this if they were to get that right there is a chance that someone could sort of sort of uh, capitalize on, on let's say Ducati just being a little bit more cautious which is very un unducati like of course but then they are now the reigning champions for the first time as we say since 07 so it's a it's a new situation you know they're the ones being chased now they've been chasing everybody for all these years so uh yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, they are, they are undoubtedly the team to beat, you know, the performance of the bike. But I think that doesn't mean by any means it's a, a walk in the park and you can write their name on the rider's title.
0: I think Ducati are unleashed. I think that now, you know, GG, the strategy's finally worked. I can, I can see them not being that conservative. I think they're still going to be going at it. Glad you picked up on the Aprilia thing again, though, because the, the Aprilia thing is, for me, the, the team to watch. I'm really looking forward to see where they where they go. Four riders this year, providing they've got the manpower to manage that properly and to, to make the developments they're going to make through the year. I think they're brilliant because they had speed last year. That was a bike that worked really well. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see whether their winter has been productive.
1: Come well, week. Livio has said Maverick Vinales could be the big surprise in 2023, especially with new crew chief Manu I'm going to say Kazo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we got it right. There we go. With Manny Cazo. So well, well, maybe that ties in fittingly then with... with-
0: well, he's, the, I think the thing with Maverick is it's as much north of the eyebrows as it is anywhere else with him. And the fact that he's settled and being treated and respected in the manner that he needs to mm-hmm. make him fast again is going to be the difference. And I think signing him early, you know, made him quicker made him more comfortable. Um, I think Aprilia is a motorbike that's going to work for him this year. Um, so not a bad shout, actually. But I think it's another one that most people on on pit wall, whether he's going to beat his teammate or not, I'm not so sure about that. It's whether Maverick has got the fight in it. Not the dog in the fight, it's the fight in the dog. And at the end of the day, it is going to be a dog fight throughout this year. You are going to have to rub shoulders. You are going to have to push. You are going to have to take liberties. And I've got a feeling that, that Maverick might just be fractionally lacking in that department if he comes out with the with you know ball and chain swinging then that will be great and we can expect something more from him but i think that i just don't see that in him as a rider i think it is going to be a push and shove kind of a year because it's going to be so close and there's going to be different players you know you kind of when you race a series you kind of get used to the people who are going to be the quick ones around you and you kind of Get a strategy for each particular person. Oh, that's Fabio in front. I know how to deal with him. That's Mark Marcus in front. Well, I better watch out for him. He's going to be. You've got a strategy of of the people you deal with. When you've got half the field capable of winning the race, each one it's a it's a proper dogfight. It's a it's a it's a sort it all out when you get to the corner type of thing. Not quite that basic, but but you know where I'm coming from. You've, you've got different riders on different motorbikes all around you all of the time and different racetracks some bikes will perform better some riders will perform better it's a great mismatch coming up i mean it's it's going to be proper 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 racing this year
2: i thought aprilia made a, a pretty good impression at this shakedown there was massimo rivola there from day one of the shakedown you know racing ceo he's there Albessiano was there from day one. Paolo Bonoro, the, the team manager, all of the top guys from day one of the shakedown, when you've only got Lorenzo Savadori, the test rider on track, they were there in Sepang, in the pits, watching track side. You, you know, that wasn't the case for everyone on the, on, on that, uh, you know, up and down the pit lane. There's, there's still some, some teams that the senior guys will be arriving now for the official test. So right from the start there, you had Razan Rosali come down, obviously Malaysian, it wasn't a, a, a great journey for him, but come down from the city each day, the new satellite team we've spoken about a lot before, you know, he's there meeting with Aprilia as well, getting everything ready. You know, it just, the impression was that they were, you know, they're not backing off here. They've had this breakthrough season and here they are.
0: It's mm. their time, isn't it? I mean, this is their opportunity to, to actually try and put themselves in that marketplace. I mean, it's a, there's never been a better time for them. This is it for Aprilia. You don't let it go when it's, when you've got to that point from last year. And, uh, you can see why. I'd be disappointed if I if I if the main people didn't turn up at a shakedown test. I'd be I'd be thinking if I was a rider, what the hell's going on? Are they actually committed? Mm. You know, you, you, you wanna see the main people there. Yeah, you know, this is there's just so little time on track, so little track time. You'd wanna you'd wanna pick up on every single nuance, whether that's a team member not working quite as they should do, somebody that's weak in their their attitude or whatever it might be, you'd wanna pick up on all that stuff and get it all drilled out. By the time we get to racing proper, so you know, big up for Aprilia bringing the main guns out to to observe what's going on.
2: One more one more twist for you, Keith. Here, okay, here is one that we were just discussing in the media room today. What if you know you're talking about Aleche and, and Maverick, and, and you know they should be poised for a great season. What if Oliveira comes along and starts challenging them? How will they cope with that? You know, will that distaste you know, how will Maverick feel? I will, they, hang on, what's going on here? You know, uh, Rasmus Ali made clear, look, you know, our target is to push the factory team, beat them ideally. You know, that, that's what we've been brought in to do, to really push this project forward. You know, how will those guys feel if, uh, you know, they, they're getting pressure from other Aprilias?
0: Well, who cares, is, is, is the way I would be in management. At the end of the day, you're all moving together as a four-man team now. Um, so you're trying to work that out. Oliveira is going to be pushing and shoving. Oliveira is going to be there. I think he's he's there or thereabouts anyway. So we're going to see that in the test next week. Now, it won't affect Alish in my view because Alish is a screen biter. <laughs> he just gets on with it every time. But, you know, it'll affect Maverick because Maverick needs to feel the love of of all the management being behind him. He needs that kind of or it appears that he needs that. Mm-hmm. I don't know Maverick personally, so I can't say that he definitely does, but but he's a little bit more complex. Um, I think with, you know, Oliveira, he's just going to go for it. He's just going to go for it. And he really could. And if, you're, if you are Aprilia, I suppose, getting to the answer to the question, is, is that you wouldn't hold him back just because he's in the satellite team. You know, you would, you would look at, and I think they're quite ruthless in Aprilia as well. They go only second to KTM, in my view, when it comes to, especially Arno is not someone that, you know, has been too uh, kind to teammates that aren't performing as they probably should be in the past and Revoler will back him with this. You now, an Oliveira is a massive signing. You know, they'd, they'd already done their deal with the factory duo. So Oliveira coming in, you know, hungry and fast. You know, you wouldn't want to hold him back if you were, if you owned the team, if you were, you know, if it was your team, you'd, you'd want to be giving him the kit. And what's to stop them? It's a satellite team. It's, it's their satellite team. They're back, it's backed by Aprilia. Give him the number one bike if he's going fast. Why would you not do that? I've not really seen that at the moment. Satellite teams have always been considered to be not the factory team. Even now, even though it is a factory team, it's kind of not the factory team. Few less personnel, da, 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 da. But we haven't yet seen a factory team that's in contention for winning a world title. But potentially, if Oliveira does get off the off the ground as, as quick as we think he did, you know, look at what he did in Valencia last year. He jumped on that motorbike and he was, what, fourth quickest or something from memory. He was there or thereabouts on a really horrible track. I mean, Valencia is not not a great example of a Grand Prix track, but so Oliveira could be thereabouts. And who's to stop, you know, Aprilia suddenly saying, "Okay, well, we'll give him the number one kit." I mean, I can't imagine what that's going to do. I can't imagine what that's going to do to Maverick's head, but um, we'll have to wait and see. Well,
2: what but about another dimension? Exactly what Razin was saying was that it was so different to when he was a a satellite team at Yamaha in that Aprilia are saying to him, look, you know, we expect this, we expect you to be pushing our, our guys fighting, you know, no, no holding back here. And, and as you say, Keith, I think it's also Pit Bar of KTM was saying, you know, it, Whichever rider delivers gets the parts first. I mean they try and they try and support riders equally obviously, but the reality is, you know, the parts don't come out the machine four at a time, do they? You know, no. there's only so many. <laughs> someone has to get them first and someone gets them last. And it comes down to who gives the results. And if you're delivering, and and they want RNF to deliver, you know they've made made clear you're coming in to be an Aprilia team and, and to push as hard as you can. And for Rasen, he was saying that's that's you know well you know it's a, it's a very different situation to uh, what he's been in in the past. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's see how it goes.
0: I've always thought it's best to be the second fastest rider in a in a in a team because um sometimes the the stuff that comes out the machine first as a bolt on goodie don't yeah, work isn't always good <laughs> a bit dud yeah let them
1: try and then it's good for you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right cool. we got we've got still got to fit in some listener questions so I want to speed through these last two that Livio said uh we talk so highly of the Aprilia riders particularly obviously Miguel Oliveira KTM have one of the strongest rider lineups for 2023
0: yeah, they do, but they still got to have the bike that works for them.
1: Pete?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, well, both of them are, are proven race winners in MotoGP, aren't they? Um, you know, you know, Jack Miller. He's, he's aiming for wins on a third different bike. He'd be the first guy to do it. We've spoken about this before. So, you know, Jack can ride pretty much everything. Um, Brad Binder. I mean, he won what his third ever MotoGP race, didn't he? Which was KTM's first ever win. I mean, oh, yeah. the, the guy just has raw talent, and he's a raw racer. And uh, you know, he's been saying, you've probably seen the story on Crash. You know, this is my this is my best chance. You know, this is. You can see that he's he's now getting to the point where he wants the results. You know they've been close, they've been top six in the championship, but it's time to take that next step. And this is the year. I think this is a a big year for for the KTM project for Brad. Obviously, Jack. I mean, it's his first year in KTM. Uh, as, as he was saying, it does take time to learn bikes the, these days. You know, when you swap when you swap to another bike. Okay, we've seen Oliveira settling very well, but he pointed out, look at Maverick. You know, Maverick jumped on the Aprilia. Everyone thought he'd be blowing Alasia away within two or three races. It actually took a year, didn't it, before he was really finishing on the podium and, and starting to challenge Alasia. So it's it's not, it's so close in GP, You can't just instantly be competitive. So Jack will have to see how quickly he can adapt to the KTM. But yeah, I think I think Brad is is fully fired up. You know, this is the year where he went last year without winning a race. He came ridiculously close on several occasions, but it was actually his first season in MotoGP without a win. So you want to put that uh, up behind him sooner rather than later.
1: Mm. Well, the final one then, still on riders. Honda, have no more excuses, at least on the rider side.
0: I think that's Livio taking a swipe back at Honda, personally. <laughs> so <there you> <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like... It's a tricky one, Honda, isn't it? I can't see them making the improvements that they need to make to get that bike to where it goes. Um, Honda have, have done this before. They've had they've had a motorbike, you know, that works really, really well. But then they kind of somehow, engineering-wise, they've got you know a beautiful motorbike that's just not quite the full package. And it will be interesting to see whether the mighty um, Mark Marquez can make it work this year. I mean, we talked about it in the last pod. Marquez is. I've never seen Marquez, well, we don't usually see him working as hard as he is. The fact that we're we're seeing him in the gym working unbelievably hard. I mean, he's going to be a weapon. He's got the maturity now to be able to carry it off. If his physique is back to where it needs to be to race a motorbike at his kind of level, in his kind of way, then he's going to make the Honda work. Um whether it's a race-winning bike or not, it might be with Mark Marquez on it. We'll wait and see whether it's, um, whether it's consistently there or thereabouts. I mean, there's so many dynamics this year, isn't there? If it doesn't work for him this year, I can see him making a move at the end of the year. And, and, and as we said again in the last podcast, with Alex Marquez now riding for Ducati, <laughs> there, therein lies a, an interesting scenario. Mm. Um, but of course, there could be a wild card anywhere for, for Mark Marquez. I mean, who wouldn't sign Mark Marquez? If he has a good year for, as a rider this year, um, interesting that Livio said it's 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 the up to, it's it's down to the riders if I understood that question correctly. I, th-
1: I think it's you know they've got a really solid driver a rider lineup. Sorry, even um, even uh, Taka Nakagami uh, has proven that he is fast on his day, and the rest of the riders now they've got a world champion and they have got the winner of the last round from uh, 2022. You know they don't really have any excuses when it comes to, to their riders not being up to scratch, at least.
0: Well, we'll see. Um, I think that that's slightly harsh. And I think I think that we've not seen... It's funny how Honda have been the quietest out of all the mm. the teams, really. We've not really seen, heard. You know, they've got their head down
1: at the moment. Let the on-track action do the talking.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're working away in, in probably what I would call them, without generalising too much, but... What I would call a very Japanese way of of dealing with of whatever they're dealing with, they're keeping it in house. They're working away at what's going on, and it's going to be interesting to see that now that Mark is back, as fit as he can be, um, his input is going to be crucial to to Honda's forward momentum, if there is any. We'll see.
1: Do you think this this actually came in as a question? Um, I can't play the voice note because it, it didn't it didn't fit very well. So sorry, Rob from from America, who who asked this. Do Honda rely too much on Mark Marquez? It's
0: why they are where they are now. Yes, is the short answer to that. Um, you know, the, 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 Crutchlow had a hand in it through LCR at some stage as well. I mean, he's a great development rider, as we as we now know even more. And the, the, the fact is, is that I think they went the Mark Marquez way. That motorbike, you know, Mark Marquez rode a motorbike like no one else. You know, the whole world changed around Mark Marquez's style and the way that he was doing things on a motorbike. And when Honda lost Honda's electronics, for instance, when it went to the Magneti Morelli you know, platform that they went to, I always remember Colin Edwards saying to me something like the, the electronics that we now have on MotoGP is like back backwards seven years. You know, the Morelli system didn't work anything like as good on the Yamaha he was riding at the time. And we heard the same thing with Honda you know, anywhere near like the control that you had over all the systems that you need on the bike to make it work well. The the, the, the Honda was a very snappy motorbike. It was a very quick motorbike, but it, it had the kind of power that you needed to have more control over. Now, if you're a Casey Stoner or a Mark Marquez or whatever it is, you could ride around that kind of thing. In fact, you like that kind of thing. Speaking of Casey Stoner, one of the reasons why he didn't like Grand Prix racing so much anymore was all the electronic control. He wanted less of it. So it's a situation where, Honda lost some of their advantage through Mark Marquez being as good as he was and the fact that the electronics changed a little bit a few years ago. Um, and they've never seemed to have really have made their way back. It's, it's always been kind of a one-rider motorbike, hasn't it, in, in recent times. You know, Taka Nakagami, And the other thing is Honda seem to not really want to take a risk with other riders. They've missed the rider market a little bit. I mean, Taka probably should have gone ages ago. Um, and somebody else probably should have been in. But of course, you know, you're looking then at political regions, aren't you? The Asia Pacific region, you know, the sponsor that was in on LCR most of the time. You know, they needed someone from that region to to, to really keep the sponsorship going and the like. So the funding and the finance and the politics of it came into, into play. It's it's still I still think Honda is a one-rider team. You know, we'll we'll see whether there's anybody that steps up, but I still think Mark Marcus is going to be their main asset and he's going to get, I hope, around some of the problems they have, and hopefully Honda will develop um, through these last few weeks before we go racing proper in Portugal. Um, they'll have got around some of the problems they've had recently.
2: I've got to admit, I was surprised only to see Stefan Bradl on track. I thought that Nagashima might have been on track, you know, two two test riders for Honda, but only only Bradl, at least, unless the transponders were off and we somehow semi- <laughs> yeah. missed them out on track. But... Uh, there was a lot and of saying to be he's
0: a commentator now you know like he's not you know bradles a very fast motorcycle rider but he's not cutting edge anymore it's kind of this is the, this is the reason why yamaha really for me are, are going to make great strides because they had the foresight to hire cal crutchlow you know i think you need someone that's right it comes back to what i said earlier on this podcast if you're 3 or 4 tenths off the pace that motorbike, when it gets in the hands of the full factory guys, is not going to be where they want it to be. You know, the, the, the test rider has almost got to be as quick as the full factory rider that's going to be racing the thing to make sure that bike is where it needs to be when they cock their leg over it for the first real big test. I don't know. I mean, it just seems that Honda have not really recognized, you know, the the, the inherent problem they've got.
2: I was speaking to someone from Honda and sort of following the logic of what Keith was just saying there, which is, you know, Mark is physically much, much stronger, isn't he? So it should be a better year. And uh, this person turned around and said to me, yeah, but when, you, when you've when got a team like Repsol Honda and a rider like Mark better, you know, that, that's not good enough. You've got to be fighting for the world championship. And that's what Mark expects, isn't it? I mean, Mark, he's had three years now without without doing that. So you know whilst it should be you know Mark is in great physical shape we see it does just turn the spotlight onto the bike again and everything else but how much better will he be will he be able to fight for the world championship it would be like a big jump for that bike to go from not winning a race last year wouldn't it to to taking on just spoke about Ducati dominating you know taking on the likes of Pecco and Bastianini on the on the on the Desmosedici so yeah i mean Ken Kawachi's come over from, from Suzuki but we said the last podcast, you don't make changes overnight to a bike, do you? It's going to take time for all that to, to come in and everything else. So it just seems like a, a whole regrouping phase. But but how patient will Mark be prepared to be?
0: Do you know what? I've just joined a few dots up. I'm a little bit slow sometimes. And it kind of like I said earlier on in this podcast that we've never seen Mark training as much as he has been this winter. And maybe the reason why we're seeing that is because he's putting out there that he's in tip-top condition and it will be the bike. You've just said it, Pete. I mean, I'm, thanks for that, because I hadn't kind of made that connection quite as well as I should have done. Um, just goes to show you're much smarter than me. But maybe that's why we're seeing the PR, if you like, of Mark Marquez. Look how fit I am. I am ready for it.
2: Uh, and look at ch- the effort I'm the putting in. Maybe chuck the ball in, in Honda's in. core. That's it. Look at the effort I'm putting in. You know, the sort of grimaces on his face and the, the pain he's going through for the, with all that of course, the one thing that the double vision, isn't it? You know, that's it, it, that's never going to go away. So that's another right. thing that they need to sort that bike out because you know, Mark, whenever he falls, it's always going to be a question mark, isn't it, over the over the eye? So, uh, yeah, big big year, big year, big year. We like a big year.
1: Uh, thank you, Rob from Georgia in the US for uh, instigating that question. Sorry, we couldn't play your voice now out loud. Didn't like it for some reason, but we can
2: hear from Adam. Hello Crash MotoGP team Just wanted to start by saying Thanks for the podcast uh, Much appreciated, look forward to it Each and every week uh, My question is That we've had Honda, followed by Suzuki Followed by Yamaha And then last year, obviously Ducati Winning the world title Does that mean it's KTM or a prettier this year? Let's hope so Anyway, hope you're well, Cheers
0: well, it's a good question and it's almost a statement rather than a question, isn't it? I mean, we've probably probably covered the the, the answers to, to where yeah. we are. I think Aprilia have got an opportunity. Um, KTM, depends how much work they've done. Um, and again, yeah, going back on the Livio basis, there are 12 riders that can, can win this world title and um, there are only so many factory teams. Ducati may start the season with a bit of an advantage just because of where they are. Um, but I, I don't know, I've got... I've just got this strange feeling about Aprilia this year. I really have. It's uh, I just I hope it works for them because I think that the smallest factory really out there financially, although they've got uh, Piaggio and uh, Piaggio and all the rest of it behind them. I mean, it's a, the parent company is massive, but I still think that the Aprilia budget is probably not, you know, the size of someone like well, certainly not the size of Ducati because they chuck money at it like there's no tomorrow. Um, so we'll see. But I'd, I'd like to think Aprilia too.
2: And I, th- I think also, Keith, it comes down to consistency, doesn't it? For most of the last year, the Aprilia, you could pretty much bet on it being up there in every race. And so when you're in a season like now where, as you said, with sprint races, consistency is going to be even more important. That's the sort of bike you need. On the sa- At the same time, with Adam's question, KTM, that was their problem, wasn't it? Consistency. And that's why we're hesitating about putting them in the you know, the, the title chase, because they need to show that they can be fighting for the podium, the top six at every race. And I think, well, that, that's a major goal for them this year, for the riders, the management, everybody. They know that's the step they need. So uh, let's see if they can do it. But yeah, with Aprilia, up until those flyaways, wasn't it, when it all sort of started falling apart, you, you, was, you could bet you could bet on one of them being uh, being on the podium, really, during the European round. So yeah, if they continue that with all of this, this sprint race, uncertainty and everything else, They could be racking up the points.
1: Let's hope it wasn't a fluke. Uh, Thanks, Adam, for that question. And we have got time for one more. I always wonder sometimes if they are a bit low on stuff to talk about. I don't know if we'll do nearly an hour. Yet here we are at 55 minutes. Uh, Sam from your neck of the woods, Keith.
2: Hi, Sam from Northamptonshire here. Love the podcast and website. Thank you for all the great content and entertainment. My question is regarding sprint races. Obviously, tyre wear shouldn't be an issue, but I've heard that there's going to be a limit to how much fuel that can be used. Do you think this will affect the potential flat-out racing that we're all hoping for from the sprint races? Thank you.
0: Yeah, fuel. I hate the fact that we might not get enough fuel on board, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I'm fairly sure that uh, the manufacturers will have... um definitely sorted out pete i don't i haven't actually looked at the rule book for the, for the sprint race
2: uh, i was actually no. chatting to danny aldridge about this just in the in the paddock actually when cal pulled up and uh, uh, and let us know how his day was going but yeah so danny was saying i think it's 12 liters of fuel um so i think it's, it's 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 roughly what half a race would be normally so it's not a big difference and and that was originally there wasn't a fuel limit and that's what raised all the eyebrows wasn't it when the sprint races came out it was Well, hang on a minute, because you know the bikes that, such as the Ducati, that would then be able to run basically with unlimited fuel consumption, if you like, just flat out in qualifying spec for a sprint race, tough for the other guys to beat.
0: (laughs) It's 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 one of my daughters just come home. That's all right. (laughs)
2: Keith's
1: got a busy household.
0: (laughs) You have to to excuse me. She's delightful. (laughs) Hello, Holly. Nice to see you back for lunch. Um, I think I think that's a mistake restricting fuel um, for me, I mean, that will be the manufacturers worried about the fact that there is some headroom at Ducati or wherever for turning the wick up. Um, the only reason we have a fuel limit pretty much is to um, to not get a situation where there's a massive disparity on how much fuel you can stuff through a motorbike and therefore make horsepower. Um, and I understand, I'm, I'm in conflict with myself here because you've got to have a fuel limit because otherwise you're going to have a Ducati that's, that's 15 mile an hour faster, um, and that will be a problem in a sprint race, and will give an unfair advantage to them. But all the same, I just I just was relishing the fact that we could have absolutely flat out. Don't worry about tire wear. Don't worry about anything. Just turn everything up to the the stop. Riders, no re- restriction at all. Just elbow in and elbow in and, and going for it. So, kind of it takes away from me a little bit of the of the the, the fun I, I thought that we were going to have in, in sprint races, but I can understand why manufacturers will have been lobbying to try and limit the fuel. Um, you might have ended up with a whole load of blown engines all over the place as well. That's the other problem, isn't it? You know, you turn the fuel whip, you turn it up, so they're pulling four horsepower. You know, how close to the limit is a Yamaha? You know, we had a time when, when, when it popped onto the rev limiter, Magello, for instance when you come over the rise there and it was spinning the wheel just a little bit and it was touching the rev limiter a bit too hard and bang um we'd not seen yamahas explode for some considerable time and and you know we've seen it before ducatis you know i seem to remember argentina was it i can't remember now who it was but you know they do go bang occasionally these motorbikes we've only got limited engines for the entire year as well and so we're into a bit of an unknown territory so if, if they were allowed unlimited fuel It would have been absolutely flat-out horsepower, and I believe that we would have been on the edge of, A, one manufacturer dominating, uh, and B, to keep up a whole load of other motors going pop, Mm. which nobody wants.
2: So, yeah, they'll get a little bit more. If you you divided it per lap, you know, 12 litres over a half distance, I think it's 22 over a full distance. So they get a little bit more for the sprint race, but that's all. And then on the the tyre side, it's that question, isn't it, of of whether – do you do you keep the let's say the same tire choice you would have used for the full race and just burn through it as he says, ride it flat out, or do you actually drop soft? Do you go to a softer compound? Uh, you know, so there'll be a, there'll be I think there m- we might see both, and that's what will make it interesting again. We might see people go, you know what, I'm going to go for the softest compound tire and nurse it gently and get it to the finish, and then you'll have the other guys going, my bike only works with a medium, and I'm just going to go <laughs> and I use rock. it all we, over half a distance.
0: We've talked about this before. This is where you're going to have, you know, personnel-wise, this is going to be a tough year purely and simply because you could have two different motorbikes set up during the course of the weekend, you know, two different setups a little bit, just just tiny bit different that will make the difference in a sprint race or in a longer race as well. You know, you you, you basically, the amount of work that this sprint race is actually compounded for, for, for technicians and for people on, on that we don't hardly ever see, the data all the acquisition that you're going to be getting data to try and get the best out of a motorbike over a half distance situation. It's going to develop as the year moves on. We're going to see, you know, how this is working, how, which bikes are going better over a short distance compared with a long distance tire where you said it there, Pete, some bikes, you know, use up tires. So going to be great having a sprint race on a bike that uses up tires, because you're going to be able to go flat out from, from the lights out. Really good year. I tell you what, I get a question every year. Is next year going to be as good as the year we've just had? And and kind of like every year that I've been back covering MotoGP, GP, it's been better for some reason or another. And I think 2023 is just going to be an absolute cracker. I can't wait.
1: We're all very excited for it, I think. Thank you very much for your question, Sam, uh, from If You see Keith on the streets. Uh, don't look him in the eyes. He doesn't like eye <laughs> contact. Over. Run him over. Uh, yeah, uh, not too hard, though. Just a little nudge. Um, just let me know you're there. Thank you very much, though. If you did send in a question, you can send in a question yourself. You can voice note us. Our email address is podcast at crash.net. We do still accept written submissions as well. But if you would like your voice played out... Um, Send it over and we'll get it played for you. But thank you, boys. That is all just about it. Just over an hour. Oh, well. We made it work. Uh, make sure you're tuned in across Crash.net for all the very latest news and analysis, as you always are, across the week. And we shall be back with you same time, same place next week. Get your questions in, as I said. Uh, if you don't want to email us, you can search Crash GP on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and let us know you're listening. Send us your questions or your thoughts. Please do leave us a review as well, wherever you get your podcasts, and we shall be right back in next, next week, I should say. But Thank you. My name is Harry Benjamin. Bye bye from Pete McLaren, from Keith Ewan, and from Keith's daughter Holly, who seems like she had a lovely lunch. Bye bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly
0: medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
1: upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com/upgrade. Normally, being a little extra might
0: be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.